0: Hey, my freshman year, I, I lived in Penland, the Dirty Third. Uh, I was in club. Uh, we had this room called Club 301. Don't know why we called it that, but it was fun. And uh, one day I woke up from a dream. And this is just about the only significant dream I've ever had. I'm not like super spiritual in the way of dreams. I've never been one of those guys. But I woke up from this dream as, as anxious as can be. I don't know if you've ever woken up from one of these dreams before. I was sweating. And in this dream, it wasn't just a dream. It was really a nightmare. And in this nightmare, what had happened was I had slept through a final. And freshman year, I wasn't like the greatest student in fact, no years was I very amazing, but, but freshman year specifically, like it was challenging. I was still trying to figure life out. And so uh, I woke up and I'm like sweating. And, and finally, I just call my friend. I'm like, dude, you'll never guess this dream I just had. I had a dream that I slept through a final. Isn't that crazy? And I was like, when are we going to go study? Because this was actually finals time. And it was about 11 a.m., you know, classic freshman year. And so uh, he's like, dude... That's weird that you say that. Like, I was wondering where you were today during the final. And I hung up on him, and and a few things happened. I was like, one, what a terrible friend, right? Like, he didn't call me, right? A phone call could have woke me up, honestly. But so, one, terrible friend, never talking to him again. And then, two, I go from zero to 100 real quick. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do Automatic failure if you sleep through a final. Like you can't recover from something like that. So I did what all of you would have done. Has anyone ever slept through a final before? Okay, one person. What did you do? You missed it. No, I know that. Anyways, never mind. We're done, We're done with him. I'm a, what he did and what I did and what you would have done in, in, in my shoes is I went and I begged. And I begged, and I begged, and I begged. And my teacher said, mm-mm, 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 And finally, I convinced her. I was like, she was like, okay, I'll let you take the final, and I'll give you a D. And I was like, that sounds great. But at that time, uh, what was required of the class, in order for me to not have to retake it again, was I needed a C. So I told her, hey, if you give me a D, you're going to have to see me again. And you don't want to see me again. I don't know if you know this. And she was like, you know what, you're right. So magically, I got a C in that class. And, and, and it's funny now to look back. And, and it honestly, it, it kind of helps with vertical to look back on some of my failures um, as a student. And that was a funny one. But what we're going to talk about tonight as we continue this series called Everyday Leadership, which Bailey started so well for us last week during student night, As we continue everyday leadership, what we're going to talk about tonight is responding to failure. Responding to failure because the the reality is all of us are going to fail. And it's kind of a sad reality, this, this inevitable thing that we're all going to fail at some point in life. And so what we're going to look at tonight is three ways, three steps, I believe, that we should respond to failure with. So we're going to see that confess, purify, and restore are the three steps to responding to failure that we're going to look at tonight. And so again, you, you may laugh at me sleeping through a final. That's a funny thing that we can laugh about now, that failure. But let's think about some, some failures that could happen in college. Like for you sitting in your shoes, what are the failures we have to deal with? Here's a few of them that I thought of. We fail when we whiff on caring for our friends in hard times. We fail when we don't get the internship our parents wanted us to get. We fail when we are in relationships and we cross boundaries over and over and over again. We fail when we use someone else's prescription so that we can just keep up in school. We fail when we talk bad about our friends and then they find out about it. We fail when we can't go more than a week without looking at pornography. We fail when we're lazy and our grades show it. We fail when we spend entire days and weeks trying to just get people to like us. We fail when we look at others and just wish we had somebody else's life. We fail when we steal signs and property from all over campus just to decorate our house. (laughs) Those are failures. Those are just a few of the failures that I had from my freshman year. That's just my freshman year. And so we have all the grades here, all the failures here. It's wise for us to seek what the Bible has to say about responding to failure. Because it's inevitable, we need to know how to respond. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. I want to let you in on a little bit of uh, uh, something that I've realized as I've read the Bible, especially the Psalms. There's something about Psalms that can be really hit or miss. And what I mean by that is I'm not dissing the Bible. I think it's um, inerrant. I think it's... uh, authoritative. I think it's everything that it's supposed to be. I think it's everything that it says it is. But I want you to know, sometimes the Psalms can be hit or miss. Here's what I mean. Have you ever read the Psalm, there may be tears in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And you read that like the morning after you had tears in the night and you're like, oh my gosh, God loves me. And he's giving you a hug. And you're like, God is real because of this. This is exactly what I needed. It feels great. It's, it's just so sweet. You're like in the crosshairs of God and it's amazing. That's what it means when a psalm is a hit. It hits home. And then sometimes I read the psalms and it's like, my enemies trample me all the day long. And I'm like, trample enemies? I get an email every once in a while that's like, kind of like, whoa, okay, chill. But for the most part, like I don't have enemies trying to kill me. Like David does, so sometimes those kind of feel like a miss, and and I tell you that those can sometimes be hit or miss tonight. Because what I want you to know is that this psalm hits home every day of the week, and it maybe I'll just give it to you. Maybe it won't hit home right now, but you will be able to use this within the next week as we respond to failure, whether that failure is big or small. We need to know how to respond to it. What's going on in this, in this psalm is David, who's a hero in the Bible, he defeated a person called Goliath. Christian scriptures, come on. like You're supposed to know this stuff. Okay, so David is a hero when he defeats Goliath, and then he becomes uh, this manipulator, adulterer, and murderer when he sleeps with Bathsheba. And he kills Uriah the Hittite to try to cover it all up. And so that's this person of David that is writing this psalm. And so when you think of failure, you can go ahead and think of the person of David. David is your guy. And this is how he responds to it. And in fact, what happens in this story is somebody calls him on his sin, calls him on his failure. And this is his response to that rebuke from the prophet Nathan. So we find ourselves in Psalm fifty-one. We're gonna try to get through almost all of it tonight. This is what it says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Transgressions are like rebellion and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We'll stop right there. The first step to responding to failure is to confess. To confess, what does it mean to confess? We talked about this a few weeks ago. It means to admit, to own it, to, to bring it into the light. As we learned about a few weeks ago, that God is light and he's big enough to handle any of your darkness. If you haven't listened to it or you missed it a few weeks ago, I'd encourage you, go listen to that. But that's David is confessing. He's saying, against you, Lord, have I sinned. And what I want you to know here is he's not saying it didn't hurt Bathsheba and it obviously hurt Uriah, he killed him. So he's not acknowledging that his sin didn't hurt other people, but what he's acknowledging is the most important thing, which is that he has sinned against God and sin has a penalty, it's deserving of death. So David's acknowledging against you alone, Lord, have I sinned. He's just saying, hey, I'm owning it. He's saying, cleanse me, have mercy on me, O God. And so what I love about this, this confession from David, although it comes late, is that he doesn't make excuses. You notice that? D- David doesn't make excuses. He doesn't blame his failure on his circumstances. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of beat around the bush because the reality is, if you know the story of David, when it comes to his, his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, what happened was he was, he was on top of a balcony he was, he was home from war. He was, he was taking a break from war. And he was on a balcony and he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman named Bathsheba who was naked. And honestly, what he could have said to God is like, God, I'm so sorry for sleeping with her. But next time, don't put that beautiful naked woman down like uh, in front of my balcony, right? Like David actually could have said something along those lines and you and I would probably have been like, yeah, God, I mean, come on, can't you help him a little bit? But David doesn't do that. He owns it. He confesses. And he doesn't blame his failure on his circumstances. And and I actually think that uh, David does, this is a humble act of owning his failure. I believe prideful people blame others, but humble people own their failures. Prideful people blame others, but humble people own their failures. Because when we fail in this life, we usually try to just pretend like it didn't happen. We just swipe it under the rug, right? We just keep moving on. We just try to pretend like it never happened. But David is showing us to acknowledge that it happened. Confess. The first step is to confess. It reminds me, uh, this idea of confession honestly makes me think of a, a doctor's office. And this is what I mean by that. Does anyone know who Seth Russell is? Woo! Woo! Okay few Baylor fans, the rest of you need to look back on some Baylor football history. Seth was uh, the quarterback at Baylor a couple of years ago. And what happened when he was playing OU is he got hit in this way that his ankle gets broken like clean in half. Has anyone seen that video? Go watch it later. Don't watch it now. You distract you the rest of this time. I'll lose you. But anyways, he in the video lifts up his leg. He's sitting on the ground and his ankle is limp. It's one of those videos that you're like, oh no, they shouldn't even show that on TV. That should be illegal, right? That's what's going on. So Seth, this happens in the middle of the game and Seth breaks his ankle and he has to get taken off on a cart. And and obviously he he can't walk and he has crutches and all these different things. And it it would be, uh, this idea of confession reminds me of this because it would be like Seth going into the doctor and the doctor's like, hey, what happened? And he's like, I fell. I stumbled. What? Your ankle is like clearly dangling around. Like, what is going on here? that be like, that's kind of what we do as Christians. When it comes to confession, we're like, yeah, I just I stumbled and fell over here. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? We don't own it, acknowledge it, we're broad and vague. But what Seth needed to do and probably like very clearly did he was like this is where I got hit this is where it hurts this is where it's been swollen here's what I've been doing here's everything that's involved in it here doctor what what's the response what's the help that's what Seth would have done And that, I I believe, is actually what we're called to as Christians to do. When it comes to failure, we're we're meant to confess all the appropriate circumstances and all the appropriate things that we've we've done. We don't blame it on the circumstances, but we include the things that are important, and we own it, we confess, and we acknowledge it. That's what it looks like. And I actually believe full confession leads to full healing, just like fully going to the doctor and saying, this is all that's going on in my body. This is how I'm sick. And the doctor can give you an idea of of a way to heal. I believe the same principle is true for us as Christians when it comes to confession. Full confession leads to full healing. The first step to responding to failure is to confess. Let's keep reading in verse seven. David goes on to say, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Let's stop right there. The second step in responding to failure is to purify. Purify means to remove contaminants. Anything that's that's, that's impure within a, a, a liquid. We know if we purify water, we're getting rid of, of the muck, of the dirt, of the, the things that are unhealthy within it. It's this, this idea of purification. David is saying, wash me, I shall be water than snow. Cleanse, or, purge me and I will be clean. Uh, hide your face from my sins. It's like the original T-Swift. Just shake it off. Like get this stuff off of me. You know what I mean? That's what David's saying. Like purge me with hyssop. Y'all know that this is a hyssop tree right here. I'm kidding, it's not. But you need to know (laughs) that a hyssop actually looks like that, but like a big blue bonnet. But like that tree right there, I'm not even kidding. Something like that is actually something that you could consider. So he's saying, purge me with hyssop. What does that mean to you and me? Nothing, right? Like what purge me? First of all, purge, a little dramatic, right? But this hyssop, this branch, It comes from a tree and it is tall and skinny and it kind of has, just pretend like it has blue bonnets on the end. And so this hyssop is this thing in the Old Testament that was used in religious ceremonies. Hang with me, This this is so important. This hyssop is used in religious ceremonies to sprinkle the sacrificial blood on the altar for somebody that was unclean. And once this was done, it was a ceremonial cleansing that was done for somebody that, that was unclean so that they could return to the camp. It was, it was this branch that was used uh, to, to remove sin through the shedding of blood. It, it was used in this altar to cleanse people that had been unclean. In Hebrews 9.22, it, it goes on to say, in Scripture, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so, this hyssop that was a ceremonial cleansing from a formerly diseased or unclean person would again allow them to enter the camp. And the next time that hyssop is used in Scripture, Psalm 51, the next time you can get to it, Jesus is on a cross and he says, I thirst. And what they do is, In John 19, 29 through 30, it says this. They took a jar full of sour wine and they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Just as Jesus bought our forgiveness with his sacrifice. And just as the Old Testament, blood and hyssop purified a defiled person, so Jesus' shed blood purifies us from the defilement of our sins. Purge me with hyssop. Amen. Second step in responding to failure is to purify. Purify. But I want you to see something here. David is saying, purge me. Wash me, Lord. God, do these things to me. David can't clean himself. You and I can't purify and cleanse ourselves. It requires the sacrificial blood of another. That's what's so sweet about this washing, this cleansing, this hyssop. And that's why in scripture, it goes on to say, for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. So no matter our failure, Christ's blood can make us white as snow. But when we fail these days, you know, the world says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I don't know the rest of the words, but you know what I mean. That's actually what the world is saying is like if you fail just get back up and do better, right? Work harder. Fix it. And I just want you to know like that's not very hopeful. I failed a group of people this week. I let them down. And it made me sick. It made me anxious. It made me sweat. There was something in my stomach for more than a day because of what had happened. The way this circumstance went about, like I had messed something up and I had let people down and it made me sick. And if you were like, Dale, what doesn't kill you make you stronger? I'd flick you off. Sorry, a little dramatic. But that's just, I'm just saying like, that's not hopeful for you and for me. We need something greater. I'm glad we have a God who can cleanse. And we don't just have to brush things under the rug and be like, you know what? Do better, dude, just shake it off, right? No, we have a God who can purify us because failure hurts. And so honestly, for those that like don't have a faith, like this is good news in failure. You can be washed clean of everything you've done. You can be white as snow. You know how sweet those words are? Man, I'm thankful for those words. That I just, I don't have to pretend like it never happened. But I can be white as snow even though it has. I love at the end of verse nine. You see in scripture, it says, blot out all my iniquities. Iniquities is this judicial term. And uh, I'll just nerd out for a second. Judicially speaking, like iniquities are what's on your record. And I, I love loved politics, and, and so this stuff just fires me up. And, and what specifically fires me up is this idea of records judicially. It is, um, I, I once had something get on my record. In fact, for those that know me, you know that the first ticket I ever got, I was going 112 in a 65, and um, it didn't go well. I'll just put it that way. Probably should have been put in jail, yes. That's very fast. I don't advise you to do it. I'm not celebrating it by any means. Um, But what happened was I I ended up having to go to court, naturally. And uh, over the course of time, the judge erased my record. Totally undeservingly. Totally undeservingly. Some people get attempted vehicular manslaughter for the speed that I was going. And I don't have anything on my record because of what I had done. And what's crazy is I was in school, and so I went to court in Houston. I drove back, and when I came back, one, my record was clean, and two, the ticket, which cost a little bit of money, I had found my friends had paid for it in full. And honestly, I did not deserve it. I was doing something stupid. You should never go that fast. But what I love about this is that my record is clean. My, my iniquities have been blot out. And, and, and this is just a lesser illustration of what's really happening here. I want you to understand, if one of your friends murdered somebody or one of your friends committed adultery, you would consider those probably unforgivable sins. And David is saying, purge me, make me white as snow, God, and he does it. That's good news. The first and second steps to responding to failure are to confess and purify. Let's keep reading in verse 10. It says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Step three in responding to failure is restore. I love this language here. Recreate, create a clean heart, renew a right spirit, restore joy, uphold a willing spirit. Those who fail that are in Christ, they can't lose their salvation or the Holy Spirit. And this is saying, this idea of restoring is that you are free again. You're back. And David... Remember the guy who committed the unforgivable sins? He's restored. He has a new heart, a clean heart, a right spirit. And what that restoration looks like, it actually ends up looking like action. In verse 13, it goes on to say David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. This is crazy the unforgivable sins that have been committed. David is restored, and then he starts teaching people. And then people, transgressors, return to God because of what David has done, because of the way David has been restored. God is using David in his story, which is crazy because in in our world, if people fail, they're disqualified. There is no restoration after failure. But this just goes to show that God can use you even if you failed. Peter denied Jesus three times. Christ built the church on his back. Failure doesn't disqualify you. David goes on to say in verse 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He can sing again. He can, he can praise again. He can worship again. This is what restoration looks like. You can teach others. You can praise again. Verse 16, God will not, will, will not delight in sacrifice or he would have given it. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. After failure, when, when you're being restored, what, what this is saying is God doesn't want your sacrifice. God doesn't want your work. He wants your heart. Hear me clearly. After failure, God doesn't want your work. He wants your heart. What I mean by that is this. This this verse is saying the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. For us today, sacrifice looks like giving to the poor or fasting, or doing some sort of thing so that we can get back into right relationship to God. And I'm not saying giving and fasting aren't good things, but I'm telling you, that's not the right response. The most important response after failure is a broken and contrite heart. That's what God wants from you. But our tendency when we fail is, is to honestly like take a step back and be like, I'm gonna be good for a couple days. I won't do that failure again. And then after like a couple days of being good, then I can go back to having a quiet time and praying and, and doing things that you know Christians do or whatever that looks like. That's what it looks like to be restored. But that's not the way God works. God loves you. Before your failure, after your failure, and during your failure. He doesn't need a timeline or a season of your faithfulness before he can love you again. He simply wants your heart so that he can show you that he loves you. The best way to illustrate these three things, confess, purify, restore, it, it, the best way to illustrate this in my life is is just with something that I absolutely hate. I hate laundry. <sighs> Honestly, it stresses me out thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> like in college, I I once told my roommates I think life is pretty manageable until I remember that I have to do my laundry, and then I realize it's impossible. <laughs> Life's completely impossible. Because the thing about laundry is, it's this thing. Let's talk about the first thing, confession. Confession is like acknowledging, hey, I got dirty clothes, right? You're owning it. You're saying, I got dirty clothes. I got to take them to the washer. And this is cheesy, but this is going to blow your mind, all right? You got to take your dirty clothes. You go to the washer, purify. You wash your clothes. So the last thing that that we talked about was restore. What happens? You put your clothes back on. <laughs> you get back into it. You return to life. You're restored to the joy of your salvation, of God's salvation, the salvation that he has given you through his son, Jesus. You can live rightly again. You can be clean. You don't have to worry about it. But what I, what I think is actually crazy about this, this image that I actually believe David is using here when he's saying, cleanse me and wash me, white as snow, there's connotations of, of, of cleansing and, and, and cleaning, almost like laundry. What I love about this illustration is, for you and for me, honestly, like there's always dirty clothes. I did my laundry last night and I still have dirty clothes. Why? Because of what I'm wearing. Laundry is this continual process that's never gonna end. We get clothes dirty, we wash them, we wear them again. We confess, we purify, we restore. We confess, we purify, we restore. It's the way we live. That's how we respond to failure. We confess, we purify, and we restore. And I want you to know really briefly that in this this kind of uh, progression, these three steps, You only have one thing, and it's confess. Purify and restore, you and I can't do for ourselves. Only God can purify and restore. He's got the hard work, and what's crazy about the hard work is he's already done it by sending his son Jesus so that we can be purified and restored. And you go, yeah, yeah, but like, I've done, you don't even know what I've done. Remember when I said David did all the unforgivable sins? Even he can be purified and restored. Confess, purify, restore, because at the end of the day, what does failure feel like? It feels like death. When you really, really fail. When you really, really let somebody down. When you really, really continue to go cross boundaries in that relationship, what does it feel like when you wake up the next morning? It feels like death. But you have to confess. You have to purify. You have to restore. What does that spell? CPR. When you're dead because of your failure, the only thing that can revive you is Christ alone. And I mean it. This is the most important passage of my life. And I don't just say that flippantly. I sincerely believe there is no Bible passage that I have read as much as this one. And so I'm begging you to bookmark it, to write in it confess, purify and restore because this week this month this semester this year you are going to fail and I'm not saying that that means you should go out and fail because there's just this steps that you can go through no 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 I'm saying when it happens and you least expect it and you want to know where to turn the next morning maybe not even the next morning the night of turn here It will give you life. You can be white as snow. I'll close with this. A pastor friend shared this recently. There's a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson a great within the Christian world who died in the last few weeks. And Eugene Peterson's son was speaking at the funeral and the son admitted that Eugene Peterson only had one sermon. He fooled everyone for 30 years. It was a secret that Eugene had left with his son, Leif. What a cool name, Leif. He said his dad had let him in on the secret very early in life. And for 50 years, he would remind his son of this secret. He would sneak into his room late at night and say over his shoulder as he went to sleep, Eugene would say this, God loves you. God is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. You're like, what does that have to do with responding to failure? we can respond to failure. We have hope in responding to failure because God loves us. He can make us white as snow. And we know how. We have the steps. We have the process. And we know that there's nothing that can keep us from that because of what David has shown us in this psalm. God loves us before after and even during your failure. That is good news that I believe can change the world. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would work in this time of response. Lord, we, we confess. That we have failed. We have fallen short of the glory that you have that you are and that of who you are. We we don't we don't measure in comparison to who you are. We have missed the mark in so many ways in this thing called sin. And in failure, We, we we just admit, Lord, we have sinned against you. Lord, we ask that you would purify us, you would do the work that only you can do that you would make us white as snow. Lord, then would you restore us to the joy of your salvation? Father, would you do that? Would you increase and we decrease? Lord, thank you for loving us in spite of our failures. Thank you, Father, for sending your son to die for us. Proving that you love us with the action of sending your son. We thank you. And we pray this all in his name. Amen.